The following is a Mission Studios podcast. This is the missionary position, and we are... Off-color. Politically incorrect. Abrasive. Offensive. Insensitive. Obnoxious. And sometimes stuck in the fuck you mode. It's Sunday. It's July 29th. And I spent the last few weeks procrastinating at an expert level. I'm Jason. I'm AC. And on this week's episode... We take a break from our regular intro. We thank our listeners for downloading our show over 1,100 times. 1,100 artfully ignore the fact that our show schedule is unpredictable as fuck. And we hope to fuck you don't notice. <laughs> so loop up. Turn off lights. Lay down. And get ready for some microphone mambo. This is episode 13. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> We finally got a question from a listener. It wasn't Matt Lund again, was it? Because fuck that guy. No, Mr. Lust didn't send anything. <laughs> <laughs> so the question goes, I'd love to hear a discussion on the transition from a strict religious culture to the openness of multiple sexual partners, hmm. particularly the mental process that had to occur to make that possible. Jesus. Yeah. That's a great question. Mm-hmm. That's what I thought, too. Great suggestion. So my understanding is this person wanted to remain anonymous, so we'll leave it at that. And yep. I just want to say, like, up front, thank you for, like, a fantastic suggestion. Right. Because Excellent. For, for, for me, this whole, I mean, there's a lot to do with this question. There's a lot of rabbit trails we could chase down mm-hmm. that, that hit really close to home for me. Because, I mean, like, as most of our listeners probably know by now, Whereas Jason has been like a lifelong non-religious uh, atheist, non-monogamous, I, yeah, very uh, liberal thinker. As long as he's been him, it hasn't always been that way for me. Because up until several years ago, I was uh, very religious, very stuck in the quote-unquote traditional values that I was indoctrinated with growing up in the Christian church. Mm-hmm. And there are times when, I mean, truth be told, as, as, as liberal and as non-religious and as um, atheistic as I am now, there are still these, like, um, it's almost like there's these little things that come up where I realize just, like, how in-depth my programming was. Mm-hmm. Because it, it's not that I hold these beliefs or that I hold these views, but it's like if I hear somebody talking about certain things, my first impulse like my knee-jerk reaction is to think oh that's wrong or that's offensive or that is inappropriate i don't voice this out loud because i mean it's one of those things where it's like oh no that's actually ridiculous like that's (laughs) not my business or it's not a problem or you know anything along those lines so what about even sometimes just thinking have, have you ever thought why do i care that's not my fucking business well, it goes beyond that even. I mean, beyond um, worrying about what is or isn't my business. I mean, I don't I don't know if we've talked about this on the show before, but we certainly talked about it in person a lot over the years as far as our differing views on the afterlife. I mean, mm-hmm. both while I was a Christian and long after my been, de- yeah. departure from Christianity, 
my my views. Departure? You fucking <laughs> ran out of there like a nuclear bomb out of a silo, brother. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, like, I don't hold the same afterlife views that I did before, right? So right. I don't believe in spirits or ghosts. I don't believe that there is an afterlife of any kind. Um, I really believe that once the physical body dies, that's the end of it. So all of that basically to set up for this, um, just, just to give an example of like how this base programming is really, really hard to shake. Um, I work as a, as a renovator in my real life, like I remodel houses and, um, the house that we're currently working on is a house where one of the previous owners had committed suicide by hanging himself in the garage. Okay. Which 99% of the time where I've been in that house, even when I've been alone, it's just like, I don't fucking care. Like, I'm not superstitious. This isn't the sort of thing that bothers me. Right. So now that we've gotten to the, the end of the project, the, the house is done. It's ready to go on the market. We've had the stagers come in. It's fully furnished, blah, blah, blah. Once in a while, I spend the night in the house just because it's just, if I get an early start in the morning, it's a lot easier if I'm already there. Right. And why the fuck not, right? So one night last week, I was alone in the house, and I was just getting ready to go to bed, and I turned off all the lights. And you know how, like, houses, they sometimes they make weird noises, like there's the odd little pop or a creak, or the wind will rustle, or a branch will hit the window, or any number of fucking things. Mm-hmm. And you just, you don't notice. It flies under your radar. Well, one of these stupid little noises happened, and I caught such a fucking chill that went through me, and I was like spooked like you wouldn't believe and what made it worse was i noticed that i had left the light on in the garage i could not bring myself to go into that fucking garage to turn the fucking light off it's like some something about the the light being on in there sort of like made me feel like i was okay being there where the dead guy had hung (laughs) which is absolutely silly because i spent so much time thinking to myself like what the fuck is this all about like i don't believe in this shit and i started questioning myself well does some part of me still believe this is this a case of like some lingering belief or is this just a case of like i believed something for so long this is another one of those knee-jerk reactions that i have no control over Mm -hmm. and this brings us right around to you know it is so driven into people like it's programming 101 it's like something the cia came up with (laughs) Well, and it's not even limited to religion. You know, like mm-hmm. my, my wife wasn't raised in a religious household, but she's still got some very, very firm ideas about what's normal and what's not, what's right, what's wrong. I mean, mm-hmm. things that she can't justify logically, but it just like, this is, you know, like this is what I see to be normal. And it's so hard to shake somebody off of an idea of normal. Right. You so- know? Now that we understand the programming side, how did you get your mind wrapped around to going from everything has to be monogamous, thank you, God, to, well, no, no, we can have multiple partners and, you know, uh, fuck you, God. (laughs) God doesn't exist. It's sort of interesting because, like, for me, that's not the easiest question to answer. Like, Mm -hmm. I I was having a conversation with a fellow atheist friend on, on Facebook the other day, and he, like myself has spent a lot of time debating with religious people online and and trying to introduce logic and fact into a world of faith and um, fantasy world, I guess. Mm -hmm. And we ended up arguing with each other over some silly point, but really what it came down to is we didn't really have... We couldn't find a common ground in the sense of like what the deconversion process looked like 
for, you know, quote, normal people. Because for, for him, he could look back and he could remember the exact day when he stopped believing in, you know, God with a capital G. Mm-hmm. And he when he lost that God belief, all the stuff that was associated with the God belief, he put aside that very day in one transaction. So for him, it was very, very clean. I have to ask you a question. Sorry. Okay. I just, I've never noticed you do this before. What's the differentiation between God regular and then God with a capital G? Well, I'll say God with a capital G because I noticed when you're, when you're talking to like Christians, typically, I mean, they're, they're the religious people that I think are the dominant majority in our culture. Mm-hmm. They will capitalize the word God as though that is a, a meaningful designation. Just to, to clarify the name of the Christian God is not God with a capital G. It's Yahweh. So now that that nitpicky little bit is out of the side, when I say God with a capital G, that's just what I'm referring to, Christian God. Okay. So anyways, when, when he he put aside his his God beliefs, he, he at the same time put aside all of the God-related rules, regulations, beliefs, superstitions, hang-ups, like all this shit. And it was like he went from being a very conservative Christian to being an ultra-liberal atheist like literally in a moment Mm -hmm. for me it was very very different it was sort of like the death by a thousand cuts because i was very very firm in my belief and i wasn't one of those unintellectual christians as you remember i mean i could argue my fucking point like nobody's goddamn business Mm -hmm. you've always been good at that but even that being said i mean when you're taking when you're debating on any topic if you're taking like the weak side of the argument you've got your work cut out for you and Mm -hmm. you can be you you can expect to be challenged on your your points with annoying frequency, as was the case with me. I I, I get challenged on this shit. Like people would call me on a question. Well, like I found this contradiction in the Bible. How do you justify that? And I, the honest thing that I had to tell them was, I'm not familiar with the passage in question or the context of the of the passage in question. I will have to look that up and get back to you. Right. So I'd go and I would look it up and I'd say these people actually have a solid point. So there's that one little doubt sort of creeps in. Okay. You know, you have another conversation. It's another little piece of doubt creeps in. And, you know, it starts from being a case of, okay, well, I'm like 98% solid faith and 2% doubt to, you know, like I'm 10% doubt, 90% faith, and the, the doubt just keeps growing. And I can't honestly look back on what was the tipping point for me where I went from strong like religious belief to like a lack of that religious belief. But okay. I mean, obviously it happened at some point. The The process of, of moving away from a lot of the hangups, I mean, that was just as slow of a thing because really it was a case of, I think the first big one that came up for me was the, the ongoing abortion debate. Okay. Right. Cause I like, I had no really religious beliefs at this point. And I was talking to somebody and they were saying, well, you know, I, I think that a woman should have the right to choose. And I was so used to saying, like, I, I don't think she should. I think it's a, a, like nobody's got the right to take the life of a baby. You know, mm-hmm. and that, that was my sincerely held position. And because I didn't have all the religious stuff getting in the way, I was able to hear the other side of the argument for the first time. Right. And the person said, well, if you look at the science of it, you can see that, like, a typical abortion, it removes really an unsophisticated cluster of cells. 
yes, it is the potential for human life. It is it's human DNA. It will one day, you know, under normal circumstances, become a human. But at this point, it's biologically insignificant. It's less complex than a common housefly, and that's something we don't hesitate to swat and squash. It's it's a meaningless transaction. Right. The fact that this may become a human at some point in the future doesn't make this transaction any more meaningless because in this moment, that is not a conscious, self-aware, living, feeling, thinking being. Right. This is a cluster of cells. That it has a heartbeat potentially is fucking irrelevant. It doesn't know that it's there. Mm-hmm. So to remove that isn't killing a baby. It's no different than cracking an egg. And they also say 95% of women go through 10 to 20, um, I'm, well, the body, the term, body basically aborts the pregnancy anyways. Yeah. Every woman gets like a pregnancy that develops into amount of cells and it just washes out. They don't even know they're pregnant that much anyways. Yeah. And if you believe that the good Lord above is controlling everything, well, he's performing more abortions than planned parenthood, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and that was all part of the argument that was presented to me that I was able to actually sit and reason through. And I was able to fact check i was able to research and after familiarizing myself with the facts and getting my emotions and my superstition out of the way i changed my mind and now i'm very very much pro-choice right you know that that's just that that's one thing you know you want to get into i think the the question was more looking towards like how do we get through um, like these rules about sexual morality that get um, ingrained into people when they grow up in the church. Mm-hmm. The, the process is really no different. I mean, it, really what it comes down to is if you are of the opinion that a, a certain physical act or an emotional bond between two consenting adults is a problem, you have to ask yourself, where does the problem lie? And if the answer to that question is God doesn't like it, then you need to ask yourself, I mean, and I'm not saying just abandon your God beliefs, but how do you know God doesn't like it is the first question. Right. And if the answer to that is, well, that's what I was taught. Well, who taught you and where did they get the information from? And almost any other creature in nature is not monogamous. Sure. It doesn't matter if it's like a question of uh, monogamy versus polygamy, if it's right. heterosexuality versus homosexuality or anything in between. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I don't really give a shit. Like, any emotional or physical activity or bond that develops between consenting adults, mm-hmm. who the fuck cares? Like, like really, you're not you're not hurting anybody unless they've asked you to. Right. <laughs> you know, Which... and that, that's not a bad thing either, you know? like. So how did you get from... So what was it for you that was a turning point that got you from monogamy to being able to have part multiple partners and accepting it and allowing yourself getting to the point before you were out there and, and, and you know, looking at me proud, that kind of stuff. Before you were at that point, how did you, one, realize that it was okay to go from one to the other and two, come out to other people about it and, and, and not worry about repercussions? Well... Where you ended up with with that line of questioning is like where I want to start. Um, I started looking around at all the other people that were enjoying these forbidden fruits. Mm -hmm. And I started noticing a common theme amongst all of them, which was that they were enjoying these forbidden fruits in a relatively consequence-free atmosphere. The consequences that these people faced 
were not of a divine nature. It wasn't like the good Lord sending lightning bolts down mm -hmm. to punish them. This was a case of there were social consequences and the consequences were being imposed by small-minded bigots who were overstepping their boundaries and getting involved in things that didn't concern them. But as far as real-world consequences, there didn't seem to be any for these people. So I thought, well, it doesn't make the most sense to me to worry that there's going to be consequences for me when there are no apparent consequences for everybody else. What right. makes me so damn special that me um, enjoying, say, maybe a, a, a polyamorous or polygamous relationship is, is going to get me some sort of punishment? It's logic 101. There's no reason to expect that there would be these consequences. Right. So if we can take the consequences away, I mean, what, what am I left with? Personal discomfort? Where is that personal discomfort coming from? Or acceptance of family. Well, I mean, that, that would be one of those consequences. I mean, and for me, acceptance of family, that, that's a consequence that I, I deal with even, even now. I mean, some of my key family relationships have been absolutely destroyed because of my departure from religion. Right. I don't know. It, it's sort of like once that ball starts rolling and you start asking certain questions, I mean, you always have to ask the questions. And, and maybe it's, it, I, I can't say it's been easy. It's been a very difficult journey. But once you start asking the questions and reasoning your way through them, I think you're going to end up at a place that leaves you in, in a position where you can be a little bit more adventurous. And yeah, it, it's hard to shake off these underlying hang-ups that you have mm -hmm. like say you were taught that a marriage is like a one man one woman scenario and if you're in a committed relationship that's just the way it's going to have to be you made your bed you're going to fucking lie in it kind of thing or you know the good lord's going to be upset well mm -hmm. well and ultimately i think if you're going to worry about who you're upsetting like in the in the sexual arena we've touched on this like actually we didn't just touch on it we explored this to death on a previous episode so i don't want to get into it right on this one mm -hmm. Anything you and your partner decide collectively is okay for the relationship is okay. So that, those are the only opinions that actually really Well, that's the thing. You know, like, if, if your friends think, oh, you know, how can you be cheating on your girlfriend by sleeping with that other woman or that other man? It's not cheating. If it, it's not cheating if your partner is okay with it. You know, and what everybody else thinks is fucking immaterial. You guys decide what you want to do. You do it. Mm -hmm. On an individual level. We see a big disconnect, even like what men can get away with typically in our society, what women can get away with. If a guy right. goes and he plays the field and he beds like a hundred women, his buddies are all high-fiving him. Oh, this guy's look, a fucking player. Stud. Holy yeah, crap. Good for him. He's sowing his wild oats. Oh, a woman oh, yeah. does it. She's a gigantic slut. Right. No pile of horseshit. <clears throat> Double standard It crap. is horseshit. You're not fucking hurting anybody. So Double you standard like, Christian crap is what it is. You like sex. Big fucking deal. Right. We're like mammals. We enjoy sex. Look all throughout the animal kingdom. You know, animals like to fuck. Mm -hmm. And you know why? It feels good. Yep. And I'm talking about recreationally fucking. I'm not talking about like the kind of fucking. It was like, oh, we've decided to have a baby, so we're trying. No, not, not that fucking chore. Just right. like I'm horny. I want to put my dick in something or I want to have a dick put in something. You right. know, like, just fucking do it. And, and you know, coming, <clears throat> coming from a totally opposite background than you, I, I've always been floored by how much family is like negatively rock solid. The the people around you that should accept you the most mm -hmm. is your family. Love you for who you are regardless. 
if you are not a religious person and your family's religious, then you know what? They're not going to hell because you're not religious. You are. So why do they have such a firm stance on, well, you have to have religion, you have to do this, you have to do that. I've, I've never understood that. And, and the same thing in the sexual arena. I've never understood how family can be so condemning when somebody's in a happy, joyous, loving relationship with a partner and they happen to have multiple partners. Yeah. Like, how can you be so close-minded? You know, oh, my son's gay, so I disowned him. How fucking dare you? You know what's ridiculous is that, you know, like, the the, the parents in these scenarios or the siblings or whoever the fuck it is, the family members. <laughs> yeah, let's, let's concentrate on family for a minute, yeah. The, the family members, like, if, if you were having sex with your partner, your family members, in most cases, I would think, wouldn't feel comfortable to barge into your bedroom while you're in the middle of the act right. and say, hey, can I critique what you're doing right now? What are you doing? Push a little bit harder. Come on. Or yeah, I, either pro or con. People don't feel entitled to give input on your sexual acts because they understand that it's none of their goddamn business to be in that situation. Right. But they will inject the, themselves in an even more intrusive manner philosophically. Right. And what gives them the right to cross that borderline? I guess ultimately we give them that right or we don't. Right. As was the case for, for for me, I decided I'm not giving you the right. And that turned out to be a parting of ways. Mm -hmm. Not my choice, but whatever. If you're not comfortable being around me and who I am and what I'm about, well, then you don't really matter anyways. That's right. So, fuck you. Just just to get sort of, like, back on, on to, like, where where I was going with the, the whole things you were asking about, like, how do you get okay with, like, the, the, the sexual stuff? Right. The, the reasoning end of things, I think I, did I cover that okay? Yeah. There's, there's still always going to be these lingering doubts, these lingering feelings. Because if you've grown up in a certain something, mm -hmm. it's really, really hard to completely shake that off. I mean, that was sort of the point of like my, you know, analogy, my, my ghost analogy. Right. Like most things in life, it's really easy to stop thinking about your hangups when you are enjoying something that feels really good. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like if you're feeling down, you don't feel quite so down when you're eating that favorite ice cream flavor. Right. You, you know what I mean? It's like the the pleasure, I, I think, in certain cases, really does overwhelm the anxiety or even in some cases the pain. Mm -hmm. And it's not to say that you don't end up having a little bit of remorse or regret or like follow-up anxiety or follow-up hang-ups or whatever after doing something that feels good. Guilt, I guess. Mm -hmm. But the more you engage in these things that you're naturally inclined to do. The more you enjoy them, the less these anxieties before, during, or after are a factor. And the more you're free to be yourself. Yeah, absolutely. It sort of, it, it really is a growth process. You do come into your own. And yeah, the, the first couple of times, I mean, it's, it's, it's hard. I mean, when you decide that you're going to abandon everything that you have ever believed to be true mm -hmm. on any specific topic, it doesn't matter. If you're going to abandon that, that's that's not a small thing inside of your own head. Right. And it does take some, some work to get past. But, I mean, if it's important to you to live in a way where you are being true to yourself, you will push past that initial anxiety. You will get through it. You will be okay. Um, actually, one other thing I'd like to quick uh, touch on a little bit here Okay. Um, that I know about you that most people don't know is the emotional separation. Mm-hmm. Between your partner 
your primary partner, your life mate, yeah, and your other partners. Can you touch on that just a little bit so so it, it broadens the spectrum a little bit? Well, I, again, I, f- I feel like we touched on this in a previous episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but just a little bit on this, just to... Oh, just as an example. Right. So so people can start to get a little bit of a feel about that as well. So Because you don't have to have emotional attachments to everybody you're fucking. Yeah, that, that, that's the thing. I mean, like, sex doesn't have to be just for procreation. It doesn't have to be just for love. It could just be because it feels good. And you can be in a monogamous relationship uh, with, with a partner where it's a case of, okay, we love each other and we have agreed, we've pledged to only love each other, mm-hmm. but we've also agreed that we're going to have outside physical partners. Right. And it, it's actually surprisingly easy to maintain that emotional monogamy, okay? Because like, if you're going to go and you're going to go fuck somebody outside of your primary relationship, mm-hmm. don't let it get to the point where feelings develop. If it's like a one one time or a two time thing, you're not falling in love in one or two romps in the in in the hay. Right. You know, if if you're the type of person that is more emotionally disciplined and you can completely separate your sex from your emotions, maybe you can have an ongoing physical only uh, partner. Right. You know, but it, it's it's all about a defining things with your with your partner if that's a factor, or figuring out for yourself as an individual what you need to do to feel fulfilled or even to feel safe mm-hmm. and, and and go with that i mean at the end of the day the, the best advice i can give to anybody is first of all you need to figure out what's right to you what's wrong to you once you've established that in your head you need to do what you think what you think is right for you for for yeah no that's what i mean that's and that's why i like the first step is figure out what you think is right what you think is wrong because i mean i would never tell somebody well just do what you think is right and leave it at that Mm -hmm. because if a lifetime of indoctrination has left you thinking that like being gay is wrong or that having premarital sex is wrong or that you know eating certain foods on certain dates is wrong you're going to have a pretty fucked up existence. Right. But and if you determine like reasons why these things don't really make sense to you, what makes sense to you is like, it doesn't make, it doesn't matter what I eat on these certain dates. It doesn't matter who I fuck as soon as long as I'm keeping myself safe or mm-hmm. within my comfort zone. Right. It doesn't matter if I'm um, living my life in a way that other people are comfortable with. It matters if I'm living my wife life in a way that I'm comfortable with. Right. And, and you have to be able to sit down and separate those. You have to, to first train yourself, in my opinion, you have to first train yourself to realize what is your thoughts and what are shit that's been indoctrinated on you or, or pushed on you because of beliefs. Oh, sure. So first of all, take some time to figure out what's yours and what's other people's baggage. Yes. I think in my opinion, that's a first step. Well, and, and that goes for anybody. I, I, again, I don't think this is limited to like people who struggle with a religious background because, right. I mean, everybody's got things from their past that have, I, I guess, influenced their ideas of acceptable or not acceptable, good, mm-hmm. bad. Right. And I, I think it's a, it's a good thing to question our core beliefs fairly frequently. Mm-hmm. I, I think we've touched on that in a previous episode, actually, as well. Yep. <laughs> It's not that we're repeating ourselves, but Jesus, I think we uh, we chased on a lot of rabbit trails, if nothing else. Yeah, yeah, and a lot more to come, too. <laughs> <laughs> a good piece of advice that I got a while back, and this is something that sort of, I think, helps to question and challenge your core beliefs, is uh, what I was told to do is 
read something that you don't agree with at least once every day. Hmm. Yeah. Which in the, in the age of like social media, it's a very easy thing or online news or whatever. Don't get stuck in this echo chamber where you're just surrounded by like-minded individuals. Right. Expose yourself to things that completely oppose what you are about mm -hmm. because I, I don't see really any other effective and convenient way to challenge your core beliefs and find mm -hmm. out, are there good reasons for you to hold them? Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's a good way to challenge yourself and, and keep your shit in check. Absolutely. So, yeah, I don't know if there was anything that we didn't touch on as far as the suggestions or. No, I think that's been hammered to death. Okay. Well, efficiently hammered to death. Not bad, but. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you didn't put any pants on again. Fuck. <laughs> I never will. <laughs> Wants to make a per episode donation? Visit www.patreon.com slash missionary There is something I want to talk about, and I don't know appropriately how to broach the situation, so I'll start off with this way. I wrote this long-winded, accurate fucking bitch online on my Facebook page about how we are all bitch-ass Canadians. Because most of us, not all, there are some who actually give a shit and will pick up firearms and such to defend the country. And I'm not taking any away from anything away from those brave men and women who do so. What my problem is, is we as individuals don't stand up for other individuals in this country. So my big rant this time was about gas prices. Everybody whines and bitches and cries. and Oh, gas is so expensive. Gas is so this. The gas is so that. And then they'll drive 15 minutes away from a house, pay a buck 50 a gallon, or a liter, sorry, not a gallon, a buck 50 a liter, and then drive back home because their gas guzzler is now full of gas, sit down in front of their armchair, go back on their computer, and bitch again about how much they just paid for gas. They won't make a difference. They won't like. They won't even say, "Hey, you know what? I'm going to drive down states and get gasoline." That's a difference. That's making a change for yourself. Yeah, as we both live close to the borders, across border shopping in either direction is an option. Right, and you know, you drive up to the border, I drive down. Right, but the same scenario is, you know, if there's something cheaper up here, you drive up here and get it. Oh, you damn there's right. Cheaper down there, you go down there and get it. But I have people that live within a five block radius of me who won't do that. They're too lazy to do that. They'll drive across the bridge to the other city, but okay, they won't so drive the extra seven minutes to save themselves over half the price of gas. So they're not doing anything for themselves and not doing anything for each other. because And we're not, we're not doing anything collectively to make a difference. Well, I, I think the problem is, I mean, nobody really organizes anything. Nobody actually really does anything collectively or I, I'm not, no, not nobody. Most people don't do anything collectively or individually. What we want to do is we want to get on social media and we want to start quote, raising awareness. And right. what is raising awareness? All that is, is saying, Hey everybody, maybe uh, if I repeat this enough times, somebody else might get off their ass and do something that I'm too lazy or unmotivated to get off my ass to do for myself. Right. Absolutely, 120%. So, is that sort of where you're driving with this? Is like well, what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to motivate people to get 
involved. You say something on my page, let's start to make a difference. Let's start to do something all across the board. Something beyond like and share. Right. I don't want anybody to like it. I don't want anybody to share it. I want somebody to make a post and tell me what they're doing so my efforts can collectively work with their efforts. And then, you know, eventually we have 50 or 60 people that can hit a lot more people than just one person can. Yeah. It's sort of, it's one of my pet peeves, actually, is people that will go off online and share posts and blah, 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 without actually having done anything themselves. Like my pet project for a number of years, number of years has been free to bet. Right. And I do share quite frequently things to do with the free to bet campaign on social media, but that's not all I'm doing. I write a lot of letters. Uh Uh-huh. And I, I try to petition with different heads of state, government agencies, um, humanitarian groups, whatnot, and, and just tr- like try to actually raise awareness with the people with the power to do something, people that are in positions of influence. It's not enough just to say, hey, everybody, this is going on. Now, you know, like Tibet's under illegal occupation by the Chinese. Let's all feel outraged for a few minutes and then move on with our fucking day having done nothing. What I want is for people to fucking do something. And whether it's free Tibet or it's gas prices or it's animal cruelty or pollution or fucking pick your fucking project. Mm -hmm. If you aren't fucking actually actively doing something on a personal level, shut the fuck up. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, my, my other issue is, like, there are a lot of people who have action for taking care of animals and have gotten police involved. So, you know, everybody's on board, so they're making a big difference on, you know, don't leave the animals in the car. Mm-hmm. If if you're beating up your animal now, you can actually be charged. Right. But other things that affect us, nobody's doing. Like, okay, for myself, the only thing I know how to do right now is write a note on Facebook and hope somebody that knows more than I do, gets in touch and helps me along my way. I've made a couple different phone calls. One agency actually told me I was retarded because I was calling the wrong place. Oh, no. <laughs> I called it twice because it had two different numbers I didn't know. <laughs> so they called you me again. retarded. <laughs> I actually got the same person. Um, Jesus. But I don't know who to go to. I tried to talk to my MLA, and they said, well, I'm not high enough to do it. And I said, well, who do I talk to? And they said, uh, go search on the internet. Well, I searched on the internet, and I personally couldn't find anything. My area is psychology and and human nature and that kind of shit. Mm -hmm. I'm not a political activist. I wouldn't mind being, but I don't know how to stand up for this kind of shit. Well, I wouldn't say you've done nothing then. You've you've made a solid effort. I mean, whether or not that effort was ultimately effective is irrelevant. You actually got off your ass and fucking tried a little bit. Yeah, I did. Yeah, I wrote a whole fucking shit ton. and, And there's... There, there's more to what you did than if you had just found a meme on Facebook or something and just shared it just so that everybody else would also be similarly outraged. Right. You know, and, and actually I did that first. And you pointed out how much of a fool I was actually being <laughs> because I was, you know, and I don't have a problem being told I'm a fool. I have a problem with criticism, which is at first how I took it. That's why I IM'd you. But once I realized what you were doing, because I, I misappropriated the information in my head. Right. It fucking kicked me in the ass, and I thought, you know what? Yeah, I'm being an idiot. I'm being a fool. I've been proven to be a fool. So I don't mind being a fool if I have a valuable lesson. Well, and why, I got a very valuable lesson. Why don't you read that thing that you wrote? Because I thought it was, it was well-worded. <clears throat> yeah, one thing I do well is write. 
<laughs> okay. So on May 21st at 11.23 p.m., I posted this because it took me like two hours to write it. And maybe we'll share this to the, to the missionary position page as well so everybody can see it. Oh, okay. Yeah. And if you want to go through some of the other shit that I share, then yeah, you can look at my page. I'm an open book, so yeah, take a look at my page, scroll through, see what you want to see, see who you want to see. There's a couple of pictures of my beautiful kids on there, that kind of stuff. Okay. Anyways, here we go. We are bitch-ass Canadians. So I learned I'm a fool. I am okay being a fool when I am able to learn a valuable lesson. So a very valuable lesson was learned from one of the most important people in my life. Yesterday I showed I shared a picture. I shared a picture below as an example. I saw a post rearing total misinformation and was showing how people without verification believe whatever the hell is put in front of them without verifying their facts. I then realized if I posted this picture if I posted this picture below that is wrongly captioned about Germany and then add my own caption about Canadian gas prices, I could get my point across through what most people believe to be true and was a total fabrication of the truth. Hoping to bring awareness to the BS people believe because it is on the damn internet. But the truth is, most will just bellyache and whine about how unfair it is we have to pay double and triple for gas compared to what Americans pay. And then with that, they'll sit back down, pick up a beer until next time it irritates them. Yet again, showing that most armchair preachers will write on Facebook and make their BS points with something like, you know, share this post, or I'm not loved, or they'll win money if you share this bullshit pick. I have my status. If you share it, you'll prove you are my bestie. You know, stupid shit like, well, can I get an amen? Hell no, you can't get a fucking amen. What kind of asinine BS is this? What the fuck has Canadian society become? Are we so complacent that we're okay with people telling us how rich they are because we're suckers? Come on, people. Let's get our heads out of our asses. This picture below shows what we really should do here in Canada about our gas prices. This is just one example of real shit that happens out there. This is starving our society and steering us into another major depression. No one is forcing us to become numb to the tyranny. Hell, we're walking, no, we're running up and putting the shackles on ourselves, becoming slaves to the stupidity of industry and eating all the dumbass consumerism like it's fucking chocolate cake. Seriously, if we want something to change, we have to step up and actually do something to change the status quo. As we all know, one person can make a difference to change a person's life. I know that there are lots of people that will, in a heartbeat, stand up for their country and do what it takes to defend it. The question is, what will we collectively do for our families, neighbors, and countrymen of this great nation? Who will defend them as individuals? Can we stand together and make a difference we need? Can you imagine what we all could do if we stood together and made a stand? And in case you are unaware or you do not remember, they actually used to stand for what they believed in back in the day. And that was my post. Fucking powerful shit, man. Thanks. Yeah, yeah real powerful. Fucking winded me. <laughs> <laughs> and the, uh, the, the meme he was commenting on was, there was a picture of a bunch of uh, people on a multi-lane uh, highway it looked like that it all gotten out of their cars and the original caption it said something about it was a protest of fuel prices in germany yeah which for those of you who are still actively sharing that meme it is not true the photo is of a 
traffic jam in China and the fuel protest in Germany never happened. So, you guys want to make comments? You want to look at that article and read it over and make your own comments or, you know, help me out, suggest something else I could do or who I could go to or whatever the scenario is. That would be absolutely fantastic and I will actually I'm going to share that right now. So I, I was thinking about something that you and I have talked about, I, I think, quite a few times over the years. Um, it it, it, uh, it jumped into my mind after one of those like annoying real life situations came up. Whereas my my younger kid, he he fucked up pretty bad, okay. and he fucked up at something that he's fucked up at quite a few times recently. Mm-hmm. It's sort of become one of those recurring themes. And you know, like most kids, every time he gets caught, then he's sorry. Yep. And, but he's uh, not sorry until he gets caught. Yeah, pretty much. So it was another one of those things where he fucked up, and, you know, I was kind of pissed off. And, like, I, I told my wife, like, I can't fucking deal with this. I, mm-hmm. I'm angry. I don't want to deal with the kid while I'm in that frame of mind. So you fucking take this one. I'm out. Fair enough. So she, you know, grudgingly took over the hassle of talking to this little fuckface. <laughs> <laughs> And um, a- after they had a-, a bit of a chat, they came out of his room and he came out to me and, you know, it was obvious he'd been crying. He was shaken. He was a-, a lot more upset than, you know, all of the previous times he'd had this exact same fuck up. And he said, Dad, I'm, I just like, wanted to tell you that I'm really, really sorry. And mm-hmm. I looked him right in the eyes like, I don't fucking accept it. Yeah, fair enough. Because if you're sorry, you'd stop doing this shit. Right. The words "I'm sorry" are fucking meaningless to me. What means something to me, <clears throat> what means something to me, is if you change your actions, then you don't have to say "I'm sorry." Mm-hmm. I'll know you're sorry because you've adjusted your your your, your actions accordingly, right? Right. Fair enough. And um, as soon as I said this, like you know, the kid looked confused and very very upset by my words, and my wife said, "You know, I need to talk to you alone for a minute." So you know, she pulled me aside. And she said, you know, like, he can't take back what's been done. And I'm like, I don't, I understand that. I said, but we're moving forward here. And I said, the words I'm sorry are, it's a fucking zero-sum transaction to me. Like, what am I supposed to do with I'm sorry? Mm-hmm. It doesn't undo what's been done. You just acknowledge that. And you've proven me in the past and, that sorry doesn't mean anything because yeah. you're doing it again. And moving forward, I mean, what the fuck? Like, I'm sorry it doesn't do anything for me. And what she said to me was, you know, like, it's the only thing he's got to offer you right now in this moment, because like you said, what's been done is done and moving forward. Like, you know, the future hasn't happened yet. All that, all that he's got in this moment right now is what appears to be a sincere apology. And, you know, it was sort of pointed out to me that an apology isn't all about the, the person who's been wronged, you know, the person who is meant to either accept or reject the apology it's also for the person who's offering the apology. So mm-hmm. whereas the I'm sorry was sort of meaningless to me, it was meaningful to him in that moment and that it wasn't fair for me to sort of take a shit all over that. Mm-hmm. So it, it sort of put me in a place where I, I was starting to, I don't know, it's not that I've changed my mind entirely on the subject, but it's it, it's been cause for me to like go back and re-examine my stance on it. Right. So, 
I don't know, like, you and I, we both take our parenting roles really seriously. So, I mean, like, your feedback on this, you know, and probably for our listeners, too, is is meaningful. So, like, how do you weigh in on this? Um. Well, uh, I I raised my kids with the belief that you don't say sorry unless you are actually going to change your action. And each time it may be a little bit of a change, but the core is you're going to change your action. Like moving in the right direction, if nothing else. Correct. Moving in the right direction. So, you know, when they were small, they said sorry, and I, you know, accepted it until they got to the age where they had the cognitive thought, cognitive reasoning to say, okay, I'm apologizing, not only because it's what I'm supposed to do, because that's what you learn first, it's what you're supposed to do. Oh, I'm sorry, it sort of turns into, like, gesundheit when somebody sneezes, right? Right, doesn't mean shit. You still got snot all over your fucking hand. <laughs> Yucky. Um... So when they, when they got to a point where they could understand what it meant, I sat them down and I said, okay. And actually it was probably because of a situation happened hmm. and they apologized and it didn't fix and apologized and didn't fix. So it came to the point where they came to me and, you know, dad, I'm really sorry I did that. Well, I said, no, you're not. Don't fucking give me your apology. You're not sorry. Well, what do you mean? I'm not sorry. Well, you've done this action six times. What did you do to change it? Well, I didn't do anything to change it, dad, but it's still an accident. And if I drive like an idiot, and I get an accident six times, my insurance rates go up every time. Yeah, that's fair. So you've got no discipline short of the same freaking thing every freaking time, and your actions haven't changed. Therefore, sorry is hollow. It means nothing. If you opened up a big box of sorry, you get nothing but a breath of fresh air. That's it. When you apologize, put meaning behind it. Don't come to me unless you've thought of what you're going to do to change your actions. So when you come to me, you say, I'm really sorry that I did this. I realized that by not putting uh, a stupid example, but by not putting the lid on the Kool-Aid and I was careless in the fridge, I pulled it out and it's happened three times. So why didn't you change your action and put the lid on the Kool-Aid? Okay. If I could just put you on pause here just to mm-hmm. make sure that I'm understanding you. Yeah. Um, to put it in, into my words. Yeah. If somebody come or one of the kids was to come to you and say, I'm sorry, dad, what you were expecting was not just an acknowledgement that, you know, I feel shitty in this moment. It's a mm-hmm. case of, I feel shitty, but this is what I'm going to do to try to make the situation right moving forward. Correct. What I did was this and I, and I know it hurts you and I didn't pay attention. So what I'm going to do next time is I'm going to start putting a lid on the Kool-Aid when I put it in the fridge. Okay. So it's a, a acknowledgement of the crime and a game plan to avoid it in the future. Correct. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Just I just wanted to. Yeah. Sorry to interrupt you. I just no, no, wanted to make sure I understood. Fine. But that that's that's in essence what it is. And now ninety percent of the times when my kids come up, ninety percent of the time when my kids come up to me and they apologize, it's because they've already thought about it because it has become part of their growing their learning habit since they were like five. So now it's instinctual. When I come to dad and I say sorry, dad, you know what? I'm really sorry I broke your thing. Next time I'm going to put it over here so it doesn't fall off the table. And it's instinctual for them now because that's what they were taught. Yeah, like with my with my older son, I sort of like I I, I took a similar approach, right? I mean, mm-hmm. I, I yeah, it, yeah. It, it was sort of easier with him because I mean, when like he's he's from my first marriage, right? Mm-hmm. So I mean, whenever he's in my home, my my now wife doesn't interfere too much with like the the approach I take with him because it's not her kid, right? Right. It's not that she's got no input, but it's just my word carries a lot more weight than hers does as far as he's concerned. Right. And my approach with him has always been 
like from a very young age, I always told him, don't say I'm sorry. I don't want to hear those words. What I want you to say is I did such and such, like fucking own it. Mm-hmm. And then just like acknowledge it and then like literally tell me this is what I want to do to make it right. Mm-hmm. Or tell me I don't know how to make it right. I'm going to think about it. Or I don't know how to make it right. What can I do? Yeah. Just just like, yeah, I guess ask what can I do to make it right? Mm-hmm. And in that sense, dealing with him was always very easy because I taught him to communicate, I guess, sort of like I do. But, you know, thinking about it. like Except I, he's not an asshole. No, he's not an asshole. Right. He's a damn good fucking kid. I'm very proud of him. Mm-hmm. And you so, be, yeah. I mean, like, he took all the best parts of me and didn't seem to inherit any of the bullshit somehow. Yep. So, I, I guess I should probably give kudos to his mom for having some accidental... And, and to err on the side of caution, <laughs> give it some time. <laughs> he does have your genes in him, so eventually... Actually, I was a bit of a late bloomer. I turned, didn't turn into a prick until my mid-20s. Uh-huh. <laughs> it took one, one solid heartbreak to turn the switch. Uh-huh. But, you know, like deal, dealing with kids is one thing. Because, I mean, when you're dealing with kids as a parent, to a certain degree, you get to dictate the rules of engagement, right? Which, mm-hmm. I guess, it makes relating to them reasonably simple even if it's you know hard emotionally sometimes yep um we're dealing with like full-grown people you know i i i think in in a sense like that assuming of course that you know like we're not dealing with our own kids you'd say dealing with significant other dealing with a co-worker dealing with a friend dealing with whoever the fuck you and me dealing with each other even right um i i almost wonder if you know the value that I personally place on the apology that is being offered isn't the, the, the be all end all. Right. Like I think my wife might've had a point though. The context I don't agree with, like the context. No, was personally, dealing with I it. totally disagree with her. No, but I mean, if I'm dealing like if, if it's a, if it's a case of like, I don't know, using you as a difficult example, because you and I communicate in ways that uh, uh, with each, with each other, that other people find intimidating right. because you know we just we sidestep all the shit mm-hmm. but a lot of the time we're dealing with people that aren't used to communicating just cut to the chase don't let all the fucking emotions get in the way of being straight with each other you know they, they need things sugar-coated a little bit there's a little right. bit more of a dance involved so when you're dealing with a person like that if they come to you and say look jason i'm 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 sorry personally honestly i don't accept it i never do not even out of an even out of an adult. well i know i know you don't and i don't either Mm-hmm. But the, the the whole point I'm I'm wondering here, and feel free to tell me I'm fucking wrong, but I'm wondering if maybe there is some some merit to the fact that we should at the very least consider the fact that like this person is fucked up. Yeah, their their way of owning it is through saying I'm sorry. It's an inarticulate, lazy, fucking garbage way of saying it. But they don't do anything. But I mean, it, it's a case of like. I feel like shit. I've obviously like, you know, done something that has upset you on some level in some small way. I am owning it. And like, you know, I know that if I'm coming to you and I say, look, blah, 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 blah. You're just like, yeah, whatever. It's all forgotten about. You fucking owned it. Like we're we're sort of more like Android like, I guess. Right. Right. But normal, healthy people, (laughs) (laughs) they they don't operate like that. And it, it might just be a case of, you know, like, it might be called for for us to offer a little bit of compassion in the sense that like look this is this apology is what the other person needs to move on what i need to move on is just like don't fuck me again Mm -hmm. 
what you need to move on is for me to acknowledge that, you know, on some level, um, I, I accept the apology. I, I never like to say it's okay because it's not okay. If it was okay, we wouldn't be having this goddamn conversation, right? Right. Well, see, I okay a lot of apologies. Like when my boy comes to me and he did something wrong, okay, let's, he knocked over a glass figurine, let's pretend. And he comes over to me and he says, Hey, Dad, I'm sorry I knocked it over and broke it. Next time I'm going to put it over here. I'll say, okay, because, okay, next time you're going to put it over there, I acknowledge that, and I understand you made the effort to think about what you did wrong and fix it, so, okay. Okay, so, in, like, in that in that sense, okay is, I acknowledge that I have understood your words, not, okay, all is forgiven. Right. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I don't know, like, how much time to spend beating this fucking subject to death. It was just sort of one of those things I was thinking about. I mean, at, at the end of the day... I still think if you're coming to me with, uh, with an I'm sorry, my knee-jerk reaction is still, you know, fuck you. Do something different next time, and then mm-hmm. you don't have to apologize. But that being said, I am giving it, like, some thought and thinking, you know, maybe I'm less right than I think I am. Well, and 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 sorry is one of those handful of platitudes that people use to get out of the situation. So we could go down a rabbit hole with this about a lot of shit. Because there are a lot of platitudes that people just say to get over with the situation. A lot of people just say sorry to get over with the situation and move on. Well, you know what? I think we, we sort of touched on another one of those in a in a previous episode where we're, when we were talking about um, like how people say, oh, hi, how are you or something like that. Right. Yeah, they don't, they really don't give actually, a shit. Yeah, they don't give a fuck. Right. But yeah, definitely a rabbit hole. I mean, it's... And we'll I, hit other platitudes later on, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And if there's any, like, I don't know, just want to throw it out there to the audience. If anything about this topic or any other one that we're talking about on this episode or any of the previous ones. Or or upcoming episodes. <clears throat> yeah. If there's anything that we have talked about or anything you'd like to hear us talk about or like, if there's anything you personally want to talk about, like, fucking send us a message. We're, we're, we're happy to I- explore ideas that aren't our own we're not mm-hmm. that wrapped up in a fucking ego trip that we have to dictate everything or, or even if you just want to hear our opinion on something that you're thinking about yeah just for a different because you know we're not going to hand you a boatload of sugar candy we're going to tell you what the fuck's going on and here it is yeah yeah thank you for listening this is and always will be a politically incorrect version of the missionary position podcast Mission Studios, the Missionary Position Podcast, their employees, or its entertainers are in no way culpable for anyone being butthurt, slighted, or in any way offended. If you as a human being cannot accept that something may sound like a close resemblance to your situation and not be totally about you in your little remnants of an existence, that is your issue. Send your opinions, hate mail, boob pics, full nudes, ideas, or questions in the form of an email to missionarypod at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at missionarypod and like us on Facebook at Missionary Position Podcast. If you are so inclined to help this broadcast get better or just wish to help out, our Patreon account is patreon.com slash missionarypod. 